missions emphasis. This will be the last week and we're going to have a speaker, but we want to make sure that we're carrying this forward. I want to make sure and make a couple of things clear, though. We're, we have not had to hand it out pledge cards this year. So if you've been giving and it's on your heart to continue to give, just keep doing what you're doing, okay? <clears throat> if you're new to this and you're looking to give to a missionary or support missions in our church, here's what I would ask you to do. If you're interested in supporting a, a, a missionary, an individual missionary, please do that yourself because that's really hard for us to do here at the church. If you're giving to the missions effort and emphasis here at the church, and you give, just write in your memo for missions when you drop it in the, in the tithe box back there. That way we can keep track of it. So again, if you've been giving, if it's on your heart, continue to give. We would appreciate that a bunch. We appreciate everything everyone's done for missions effort here in our church. If you're interested in supporting a, a missionary individually, please do that on your own. But if you're interested in just giving to the church and then us taking care of the missionaries that are out in the field through the church please feel free to do that as well. I hope that makes sense to you guys so everybody's clear on that, okay? But it is my privilege this morning to introduce who has become a very good friend of mine, Pat Klein. I watched Pat for the last probably at least 18 to 20 years come up every once, once a year on a Sunday and talk about smuggling Bibles in and carrying items into foreign countries around the world. And about three years ago, I actually got to do that with Pat. About three years ago, I went into China, <clears throat> Vietnam, and Hong Kong with him. And then about two years ago, Casey Ehrman and I went into Cuba with him, and we smuggled in Bibles and a bunch of other materials that we'd taken into the country. And here's what I learned about Pat. Because you always wonder, don't you? I mean, come on, let's just be honest. When you see a missionary stand up here on stage, you're like, are they really what they appear to be when they're out there in the field doing their job that God's called them to? Here's what I would say about Pat Klein. Plug your ears, Pat, because like I said earlier, I don't want you getting a big head, okay? Pat is the real deal. I watched, here's how real a deal Pat is. I'm going to take a minute of your time, okay, because this is such a cool story that came to mind. So Matt, Pat, and myself are in China. We just got done to carrying Bibles in. It's dark. I have no idea where we're at. I, I, if, I, if something happened to me, I have, all I know is I'm in China. That's it, because we went in quite a ways on a train. We didn't take the train back out right away. We caught a cab. Matt and I are sitting in the back seat. I'm scared to death, to be honest with you. I got a hold of Pat's belt loop wherever he goes, right? But here's Pat in the front seat in China sharing the gospel with a cab driver. And I'm like, Pat, knock it off. You know, it's like we're in China. You know that, right? But Pat can't help himself because that's what God called, has called him to. And he's very good at it, very faithful to it, loves God, and is utterly dependent on God to do these things. So the very first week here at the church, we talked about Acts 1-8. We talked about Jerusalem. We spoke about the soup kitchen, had Clint Haskins come up and share on that. Last week, we talked about Jerusalem, where we had Katie Parrish come up from the college in Laramie and share on what's going on there. This morning, what Pat's going to talk about is the uttermost, as Acts 8, 1-8 talks about, or the outermost, whichever uh, version you read. But Pat's going to come up and share some stories with you this morning of what it looks like to be in a red district as far as what missions look like, very dangerous parts of the world. And I know God has protected Pat for 30-plus years of Vision Beyond Borders, we are very privileged and honored to be a part of your organization and very glad to come alongside you and wherever we can to help out. So if you guys would do me a huge favor, welcome a good friend of mine to the stage, Pat Klein. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate that. Hope I don't get a big head. <laughs> I appreciate Dan. He has such a servant's heart and just always enjoy fellowshipping with him. He's excited about the Lord, and we, we believe a lot of the same things. It's just kind of cool, and, you know, it's iron sharpening iron. 
I can't tell you what a blessing it is to be here today. You know, um, the church I go to in Casper was shut down for a couple of months during the COVID, and it was just hard to watch church on TV. It's just hard, or on the computer. There's just something about being with your brothers and sisters when we're together, you know, and it's important. Scripture says not to forsake our sending of ourselves together. We need to be with the body of Christ. There's something about sitting next to somebody and they're singing about Jesus and, and just realizing that other people in the body of Christ are going through the same kind of trials that we are, that we're not alone in this. A lot of times when we get alone, we get isolated, the enemy really beats us up. And we get start getting depressed and we get discouraged. And, but when we're fellowshiping with one another, we can talk to each other and find out that, hey, you're going through that, I'm going through that too, you know. And, and it's good to see that we're not alone in this. You know, it's, it's a difficult time. Um, <clears throat> it's been a challenging year, as you all know. You've all experienced it as well. It's been hard not being able to travel overseas. Um, I've actually been, I did go to, to Asia in January and made two trips into Cuba in March. We're on the second trip in, and we just brought a lot of support for the pastors and the churches. And uh, we were actually at the guest house having breakfast. And the, our hosts said to us, we just heard from our friends, our family in the States, that President Trump is shutting down all the flights tonight as of midnight. So we ran to our contact's house and said, can you get us to the airport quick? We've got to leave now. So we went to the airport, and thankfully we got on flights back to the U.S. Uh, we both, we all, three of us got home by midnight but it wasn't true that the president did not shut down those flights. Um, but things are difficult for people all over the world. And I know it for us, it's very frustrating. I know myself when I go to Walmart, and one day they got the door open down by the food section. And so I think, okay, I got to go park close to that end. You go to park close to that end. I'm like, why is it empty over here? So I park there and then find out that's the other door that's open today. You know, and it's like the rules keep changing, and it's like I, like I like a routine. I like it when it's cut and dried, you know, and it's hard for me when I don't really like change. I think a lot of people don't like change, and it's hard, but that's the world we live in right now, and we have to be adjusting. Uh, the people in Cuba, I thought I had it bad, and then I heard from the people in Cuba that they had to wait for 10 hours to get chicken in line for 10 hours. They had to get up early at 2 o'clock in the morning and walk two hours to the ration stores because there's no public transportation right now in Cuba. So they had to walk two hours to get to the ration store, got their number, waited in line for a couple hours. They got up to the front of the line and they said, sorry, we just ran out of chicken. If you want chicken, you're going to have to go to another ration store. So they had to walk to another ration store and then wait in line for hours and then walk back home. So it was 10 hours before they got their chicken. And the chicken in, in Cuba is a little bit bigger than your fist. So they waited 10 hours. I thought, Lord, I have nothing to complain about. I can still go to Walmart. I can still go to the grocery store and I can get chicken. I can get a couple of them if I need them. You know, but, you know, we, we have it very good in America. Even in spite of all the adjustments we have, in, uh, in the red light district in India, thankfully, it's shut down right now. The men are not using the girls, but the girls have no money to buy food. So the government, thankfully, the government stepped in and said, we'll provide one meal a day. So we're, we're working to send funds into India, which is not an easy thing to do right now because uh, the Indian government is very opposed to Christianity. It's very difficult to get money in there. 
but we're getting money in to help feed people, keep supplies going. Uh, we've been able to send containers, 40-foot containers full of food and supplies to the refugees in Iraq, also in Jordan. Uh, the war has picked up in Syria, so more and more refugees are flooding across the border and they need more help. And so we keep getting supplies out. We have two containers going out in the next couple of weeks, one out of Billings and one out of Casper. And we just want to say thank you to this church for your support, your prayers. Uh, it's been a challenging time for us, not being able to travel. I'm used to traveling all over the world, and it's hard for me to stay home. And I'm like, I think I'm getting all my projects done at home and all my projects done at the office, but I'm not being able to travel, and that's been really challenging for me. But I'm thankful I don't have to wait in line for 10 hours for chicken. Amen? We have it very good in America, uh, even in spite of all the challenges we're going through. I want to read a few verses from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffered tr suffer trouble as an evildoer, even the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may also attain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this country. We thank you for the freedom that we are able to enjoy. Father, I pray that freedom would continue, Father God, that we would be able to continue to worship together freely and to study your word and hear the word of God. Lord, I pray that you be with us now. I pray that you would speak through me to give people ears to hear and a heart to receive and that, Lord, we would leave this place more like Jesus that, Lord, we would be Christians that would persevere through trials and tribulations, that we would not quit, but that we'd stand strong. So I just ask you to bless this time now, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, in this passage, we, we it talks about enduring hardship as a soldier. And I believe when we get saved, we enter into a spiritual warfare, amen? You know, it's not like all of a sudden you become a Christian, everything becomes rosy, it's a wonderful world. Um, there's, if, if it did, if we just got saved and everything was wonderful and, and we just pray and we get answers to prayer right away and everything, everybody would want to be a Christian, everybody. But we know that when we become a Christian, yes, there are many, many blessings of God. There's more blessings of God, but there's also trials. We go through a lot of trials in this life, and those trials mold us and make us more like Jesus if we let them. If we push back against the trials and push them away and run away from them, then we will not become the people God intended for us to be. But God allows trials and tribulations in our lives to make us more like Jesus so that people can see Jesus through us, so we can bear more fruit for God. You know, but I, I'm saddened because in America, our commitment level keeps dropping more and more. 
people's commitment in their marriages is dropping, commitment to their families are dropping, commitments in their job, in their responsibility as citizens, good citizens, is dropping more and more, but in the church, it's dropping. And this is, this is not right. We should be the most committed people on the face of the earth. We should be committed to the end and to fight through the trials and tribulations. Yes, your marriage is gonna go through trials and tribulations, but if you, if you keep pressing on, you become stronger and your relationship becomes stronger and God blesses that union even more and more. People are abandoning their families. You know, it's sad when I hear of, of even now, it used to be you'd hear of men running off. Now a lot of times you hear about women running off, leaving their husbands, leaving their children. I don't understand that. You know, there's a thing in a woman, a woman that they want to have children, and that's part of their, the, who they are, and they want to bear children and, and raise up children, and yet we see in our society, our society is saying, if it gets difficult, quit. Just walk away. And that's not right. We are, we're called to persevere. We're called to press through the trials and tribulations. We're called to, to be faithful witnesses for Jesus, but be faithful husbands, be faithful wives, be faithful to our children, be faithful in our jobs. We're called to be above the, the way the world is. And, and you know what? What we're seeing in our world, it's really embarrassing. Honestly, it's really embarrassing when I think about, when I travel to foreign countries and to think the mud that people are seeing of our country, of our leaders and everything else all over the world, I'm like, I'm embarrassed. You know, and it's like, where is the integrity? Where is the honesty? Where is the doing what's right? Even though everybody, the mainstream is doing wrong, we should be the ones that should be doing right and saying, you know what, I'm not gonna give in. I don't care how much money you offer me, I'm not doing it. I'm not going the way of the world. I'm not gonna give in, I'm not gonna quit. I'm gonna persevere to the end. And this morning I wanna talk about a missionary. Um, can we pull that first slide, please? This guy's a missionary to the country of Burma better known today as Myanmar. His name was Adoniram Judson. Uh, Judson was born in 1788. And we're going to talk about Judson for a little while and tell you some of the things that he went through as a missionary to bring the gospel to the country of Burma. Okay, Adoniram Judson, he was actually born in 18, 1788. And when he was three years old, his mother had taught him how to read. So his father came home from, he was a, his dad was a minister, his dad came home one day and his son read a whole chapter of the Bible, a three-year-old. He was an incredible young man. He just had great aspirations. His dad knew that he was gonna do some great things in his life and really encouraged his son to be that way. But even as a young man, he learned uh, Latin and Greek. He was fluent in Latin and Greek at, his young, at a young age. When he was 14 years old, he was very, very sick. And for about a whole year, he was not able to uh, go to school. And so when he was able to go back to school, he caught up. And he actually went on the university at the age of 16, okay? When he was a little boy, he would actually play with his friends and they would play church. And he would be a preacher like his dad. And so he had aspirations. He was gonna follow in dad's footsteps and become this minister of the gospel. And so when he was 16, his father was going to send him off to Harvard, but he felt that Harvard was too liberal of a university, so he decided to send him to, send him to Rhode Island University, which later became Brown University. So here's his son at 16 years old, goes off to university, and when he gets in the university, he becomes really close friends, like best friends, with a guy named Jacob Ames. Jacob Ames was a deist. 
He did not believe in a personal God or a personal savior. He believed that Christianity, Buddhism, and Islam, and all the religions were all the same. And so he didn't believe in, in God at all. And so um, he really influenced the life of Judson. So you can imagine, here's his dad, a pastor, and his mom, you know, a pastor's wife, and excited about their son, who's very brilliant, very, very smart young man, and he's gonna follow in his dad's footsteps, and he's gonna be be used by God, and all of a sudden, this young man is influenced by deism, and before long, he denies his faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this is happening a lot of of times in the United States now. A lot of Christian parents, their kids are going off to secular universities, and what's happening within a couple of years, the kids come back, they question Christianity, they question God, they question the Bible, because they've been filled with all this, this socialism and atheism in the universities. And so, you know, the parents are just brokenhearted. Uh, their son graduated valedictorian. He actually was able to skip a year of college because he was so smart. But he graduated valedictorian. In his speech, his parents were kind of saddened because he didn't really exalt God. He didn't glorify Jesus Christ. He kind of just talked about humanism and deism. And the parents were really disappointed. So he went back to see his parents. After he graduated, he worked for a while in a school, taught, taught in a school, wrote some school books. Went back to visit his parents and got in an argument with his father and spent a couple of hours arguing with his dad about how deism was true and that Christianity was not true, the Bible was not true. And, and so he and this Jacob Ames had really planned their future. They're going to be playwrights and, and do all these great things and everything else. And so uh, Judson left his parents' home and kind of on bad terms with his parents. He left. He decided to go to New York City. He joined with an acting group, traveled with them, and these guys that he was traveling with this acting group, they would stay in, in like inns, and what they would do is they would get up early in the morning and they would sneak out before they had to pay. And so they ripped off these inns. And some of the people in the acting troupe actually stole some of his money. And so his eyes were kind of being opened to see how the world is, is so full of lies and deception. And it's not what he thought he was going to be. He thought it was going to be really glamorous and everything else. Instead, his eyes are opened. And so he decided to go and see his uncle, who was a minister. But his uncle was not there. But this, his uncle had a young protege, and he was in his uh, late 20s. And so Judson spent hours talking with him, and then that night he stayed in, at, this, at his uncle's house. The next day they got into a couple more, more hours of discussion, and finally he decided to leave. Um, and he just said, I cannot accept the faith of this young minister. I cannot accept it. I reject, I reject the truth. And so he walked away. And he was going back and, uh, to his parents at that area, and he decided to stop at an inn. He was very, very tired. He stopped at this inn and he said to them, do you have any rooms? The guy said, we're all full. And he said, but I just need a room. And the guy said, well, there is one room left. And he said, okay. And the guy said, but there's a man dying in that room. And he said, it's okay. I'm, I'm a sound sleeper. I can sleep through anything. He said, I'll take that room. And so he goes in this room and he's, there's a little partition and he can hear this man moaning and groaning, okay, as this man is dying. And people are coming in to kind of attend to him and take care of him, and, and this man is moaning and groaning, and, and Judson starts to think about, I don't know, starts to think about this guy in the next bed. Is he right with God? If he were to die tonight, where would he spend eternity? 
does this man have faith in Jesus Christ? And, and his mortality, Judson's mortality started to hit him, okay? And so he's, he's hearing this man groaning and everything else, and then he, he starts thinking about himself. Well, where would I go if I died tonight? I don't believe in God anymore. I don't believe the Bible. So, you know, where would I go? And he starts questioning, and finally about 4 o'clock in the morning, this man dies. And Judson falls asleep. Here's this, moan, this man moan and groan and just also gives up, and he dies. And Judson falls asleep. A couple hours later, he wakes up and goes down to have breakfast and talks to the innkeeper. And he said, so what happened to the man that was in the room next to me, in, in the bed next to me? And he said, uh, he died this morning about 4 o'clock in the morning. And he said, oh, really, what, what do you know about him? He said, oh, he was a very, very nice young man, a fine young man, educated. He went to Rhode Island University. He said, Rhode Island University? Well, what was his name? And he said his name was Jacob Ames. It was a young man that had led him astray, died in the room right next to him. And talk about the hand of God. So here's this man dies in this room next to him, and all of a sudden, he just sat there for hours, like, what just happened? And so he really realized that the course he was on, rebelling against the Lord, going against God's ways, was going to lead to death and destruction. And so he went back, and he <clears throat> went back to see his parents. He actually ended up going to uh, seminary, even though he wasn't even a believer yet. He went to seminary. They let him in. And after about a year or two wrestling with God, he actually surrendered his heart and life to Jesus Christ and got saved. And then when he was at the seminary, he actually saw a gospel tract that said the Star of the East. And so he read this tract, and it was about Carrie and other missionaries going to India to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people, the heathen in India. And that really impacted him. Then he read an article about Ava in Burma, and he was really touched by that. And so he felt like God was calling him to go to Burma. So at that time, there were no missionaries in the United States, and there was no mission societies. So he made a trip to, to, to England, but in the, in the process, he ended up in France, and France and England were having a war. So he ends up in prison in France, and then this guy, American guy, smuggles him out of the prison, ends up going to London. London said, we'll send you and your friends. There's three other friends. You can go as missionaries from the London uh, Missionary Society. And so he came back to the States. In the process, uh, this man that he knew was quite wealthy had died, and they said, okay, we'll send you as missionaries from the United States. And so uh, Judson goes to talk to his friends about it. He goes to this man's house. This man, his name is uh, Mr. Hasseltine. Mr. Hasseltine has a daughter. Can we go to the next one, please? This is Judson in his, in his latter years. Uh, next one, please. So Hasseltine's had a daughter named Anne, and she also went by the name of Nancy. She was about 18 years old. And so Judson met her. He was smitten. He fell in love with her and decided he wanted to marry her. And so here he has his missions call to go to Burma. And so he's trying to convince her to go with him to Burma. Now, he wrote a letter to the father, Anne's father. And this is what he wrote. I think it's pretty interesting. He said, I now have to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, 
to every kind of wanton distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, and for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened with acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Can you imagine as a father getting a letter like that from your uh, daughter's fiance that wants to marry her, her boyfriend that wants to marry her? Um, so, you know, he didn't reject it, but he said to Anne, he said, Anne, you have to make the choice. So this young girl is 16 years old, or, sorry, 18 years old, goes and prays about it and feels like God wants her to be a missionary with Judson, okay? So they get married and they're sent off and they had this commissioning service. About 2,000 people came to this commissioning service. They got on the boat and it was four months across the sea from Salem to Calcutta, India, four months. They were seasick. They went through a lot of trials on the boat and everything else. And then they got in some problems in, in India, couldn't stay in India. So they finally got on the boat to go to Burma. Unfortunately, on the boat to Burma, their first child was born stillborn. And they had to bury the first baby at sea. Uh, Adoniram and Anne actually had three children. All three of them died before they were two years old. A lot of hardships. Burma was very, very difficult back in the 1800s. It's not easy even till today. Uh, it's a very, very difficult country to live in. Uh, exotic foods, a lot of sicknesses. In those days, missionaries and their families were constantly dying. People were dying all the time because of illnesses and malaria and dengue fever and, and um, just terrible diseases. And you know, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy life at all. But they kept persevering. Uh, next slide, please. These, these are kind of woodcut pictures, but uh, they actually were there for six years before they had the first convert from Buddhism to Christianity. Six years. Imagine laboring for six years and not seeing any fruit, and then finally someone comes to know the Lord. And that's very difficult, very trying. Uh, there was a lot of persecution of the Christians when people would renounce their faith in Buddhism. They got persecuted very badly by the governors <clears throat> of the area, uh, really publicly humiliated and persecuted, and, and they were even talking about putting them in prison and even executing them. So uh, next slide, please. So um, actually, this is, uh, this is a little bit later on, but he actually went to, Judson decided to go to Ava, which even the travel inside Burma would take weeks and months to travel by ship to get up to these northern parts and that very difficult going through jungles and everything else and the humidity, the heat and everything else was very difficult for them. But he decided to go see the king of Ava, king of Burma, and said, can I have permission to have religious freedom in this country? And the king wouldn't have anything to do with it. He even brought a beautiful Bible and had the king's name put on the Bible and everything else. The king wanted nothing to do with it. And so he was sent... He went back down to the mission statement down in Yangon. Uh, next one, please. And so he went back down. And then a short time later, uh, Britain and Burma went to war. They went to war over a certain area of Burma. 
and they went to war, and they thought that Judson was a spy. Adoniram Judson was a spy, so he was arrested with some other, um, there was another missionary there, and then there's a couple of British guys, and they were arrested and put in prison for 17 months. 17 months, he had fetters on his, on his feet, chains around his feet, and then what they would do at night is they would put a bamboo pole between, between their legs and lift them up, so their legs, so they would rest on their shoulders at night. That's all they could rest on their shoulders, so you can imagine how, what torment that would be. Uh, there was a rat-infested area, it was just rotten food everywhere, it was just, it was a really gross, gross place. It was terrible. Well, his wife, Anne, young lady moved up north. She moved close to the prison to take care of Judson. And she would bring food to him and try to help him because he got really sick in the prison, had high fevers and was very, very sick. Uh, she would try to help the other, the other foreign prisoners as well. She kept going to the governor every day, asking, begging for his, his have mercy on Judson so they would make it life a little easier so he would not die in the prison. But she moved real close by. She'd also given birth to another baby and was trying to raise this baby, but she couldn't even breastfeed her baby. They had to find somebody to breastfeed the baby because she was so poor. She didn't have hardly food for herself and trying to keep the baby alive and everything else. It was very difficult times, very difficult times. But she was very committed to Judson and committed, most of all, to Jesus Christ to bring the gospel. She could have quit, said, you know, it's too hard. I'm going back, I'm going back to the United States. I'm going back to my family. But she stayed there with him. She stayed, and so 17 months he was in the prison. But at one point, they moved him to another prison for the last six months, I believe it was. They put him in this prison, and the problem in that prison was there was a lot of mosquitoes. And they would beat the bottom of their feet. And so while they're hung up at night, their feet up above them, they're laying on their, on their shoulders, their feet, and the mosquitoes would just come and just bite their feet. And just can you imagine that, having that constant torment? You can't, can't scratch those bites. You can't, you know, scoot those, those mosquitoes away. There's nothing you can do. You just have to sit there and torment, go through that torment. And so after 17 months, he was released, and he went back down to the mission station. And then um, they asked him to come back up. And next one, please. This is when he went to petition for the king of Ava. He wouldn't have anything to do with it. But then they asked him to come back up because Judson was fluent in Burmese. He could read and he could write in Burmese. There was no foreigner that, wasn't, that was so proficient in the languages as he was. And so they asked him to come back up. And in the meantime, he had actually, uh, when he was in prison, he would work on his translation of the New Testament. Uh, and smuggled his, his pillow in, and it had his work that he was working on translating the New Testament while he was in prison. And so she smuggled it in, and somehow, just amazing, but the pillow got thrown out in the mud, and somebody picked it up, and they thought that it was wasted. All those years it was wasted, and thankfully, when he got released from the prison, somebody had found it and gave that, all of the translation work back to him. So he continued with the work and translation. But then when they were working on the treaty between the English and the Burmese, they brought Judson back in to help translate, and translate because he spoke English and Burmese fluently, so he could negotiate the treaty between the, the British and the Burmese. And he was very frustrated because it was taking forever. And so he got a letter one day, it came by ship, came by the ship and they said that his wife Anne had died a month before. She got very, very sick, and she died. And so he finished up his work right away, went back down to take care of their baby, the only baby that survived, the three. 
And that baby lived for six months and then died after six months. And Judson was so down and discouraged after all of this, going through all of this, being put in prison wrongly, being beaten, all the things he went through, the torment and everything he went through, that he went into like a depression for about 40 days. He went out in the jungle. He actually dug himself a grave and he sat down by the grave and just, just pictured himself lying in that grave. He just wanted to die. He lost his beloved Anne and lost his other baby. And then the, the treatment he went through in the prison was just too much for him. And so he was there for 40 days. They said it was a miracle because there were man-eating tigers everywhere, and yet God protected him through all that. And so Judson came through that. That was a very hard time for him, but he came through. And then he went on to, um, there was a couple that came, uh, George and Sarah Boatman, and they came, and Judson had actually led a Karen man to the Lord. He had led this man to the Lord, and so they, um, they actually helped disciple this man and started to work with the Karen people. Today, among the Karen people, 40% of them are Christians because the boatman's going in and Judson actually bringing the gospel to the first Karen man and the gospel really spread among the Karen. Uh, Sarah Boatman's husband, George, was there for six years and then he died. He got sick and died. And so three years later, Judson, Adoniram Judson, married Sarah Boatman. And they, had, um, they were married for 11 years. They had eight children. Only five of them lived to adulthood. Only five. And so they were married, and he was working on the Bible translation. He had finished the New Testament. He was working on the Bible translation. And then after 11 years of marriage, um, they decided she got sick, pretty sick, and the doctor said it would be best thing for her to go to America come back to America because her health was failing. And his first wife, Anne, had actually come back to the States one time, and she'd actually been writing her memoirs. And so people in the United States were kind of following the Judson story. But Adonaim didn't know that. So he, you know, he decided he was going to stay with the two boys in Burma. Uh, Sarah was going to take the, the oldest daughter and the son with her to the United States. They felt it would be better for them to grow up in the United States. Their chance of survival would be much better living in America rather than living in Burma because it had a high infant mortality rate. And so they decided to, to travel and at the last minute, Sarah got sick again. She was doing better and she got sick again so Adonaim came with her. On their way back, to the, coming back to the United States, uh, she actually died. They took her to the island of St. Helena's, Helena and end up burying her there. She died on that island. So he lost his second wife to illness. And um, so he came to the United States. He was very much welcomed in the United States. People loved him. Everywhere he go to speak, his health was, was pretty bad by then. I believe he was 56 years old. His, his health was, was broken down. He could hardly even talk. He just, he'd get up to speak. And, and everybody's all excited. They want to hear his stories about what happened in Burma. And all he could do is just preach the gospel. And people are getting disappointed because they're like, we want to hear the war stories. We want to hear all the exciting stories. And all I do is preach the cross. He said, that's the greatest story there ever is, is ever was and ever is, is the, the story of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and rising again. And so um, when he was there, he actually met his third wife. Next one, please. This is Emily Chubbuck. This was his, his last wife. 
Uh, she was much younger than he was. It was quite a scandal for him as an older missionary to be involved with a young woman. And so it was quite a scandal, but he uh, ended up marrying her. And she ended up coming to Burma as well. Um, and he went back. He was working on the translation of the Bible. He finished the Bible. The church was growing in Burma. Uh, but a lot of trials and tribulations. He got sick again, and um, they had actually had a, a, a baby. The first baby, I believe, died stillborn, and then um, so he he actually had a. They said go back out to sea because the the sea water and the air was better for him and for his lungs. And so he went out to sea, and he actually died on the boat. Um, his wife Emily did not know for four months. She got a letter saying that her husband had died four months before. Uh, Ten days after he died, she gave birth to their second child who was, uh, died at birth. Actually died that same day. And so that baby also died. So out of 13 kids, uh, seven of his kids died while they were still very young, young ages. So he went through a lot of trials, a lot of tribulations, but today... There's in Burma, five million Christians, five million Christians. Um, he had a great impact in their country, gave them the first Bible. He actually, he didn't, wasn't able to finish it himself, but he worked on an English Burmese dictionary, got half of it done, and then he died. But um, he actually did the treaty, created the treaty between the British and the Burmese. They have utmost respect for Burma, in Burma, for Judson today. Uh, when we asked them, what version of the Bible do you want? They said, we want the Judson version of the Bible. Don't bring us any other version. We want the Judson version. And they have tremendous respect for Judson. Can we go on to the next one, please? Next slide. So as a result of Judson and his work in Burma, this is one of the orphanages that we're working with in Burma today. Because Miss Emerald, and we'll go to the next slide, please. This is Miss Emerald, and I've talked about her before. Miss Emerald is 88 years old. 88 years old. Her grandmother started the orphanage back in 1905. She told me that her family was converted through the Judsons, that they, her grandparents had a relationship with the Judsons and were impacted by their ministry. And so Miss Emerald today has an orphanage with 147 orphans. 147 orphans. Uh, they've been able to help over a thousand kids over the years. Do you see the chain of events? How God, you know, God moves on a man's heart, and He goes with His wife, and and they commit their lives to bringing the gospel into Burma, and that gospel is still going forth today. And it, there's a lot of trials, a lot of tribulations along the way. There's a lot of times you could quit, say, "Hey, it's just too hard." You know, a woman loses three of her babies, all three of her kids die. I mean, that's hard, really hard stuff. And then her husband being taken off the prison and all the things that she had to go through to keep, to keep him going and, and keep their family going. I mean, just the trials and the tribulations. Plenty of opportunities to quit. And we have plenty of opportunities to quit today, but no, we have to keep pressing on because people are depending on us to keep getting the gospel out. Keep going with it. Next slide, please. This is with Miss Emerald with some of the kids. A lot of these kids are from the Karen tribe. They were influenced, their families were influenced by the boatmen back in the 1800s. 
And so these kids, their parents have been slaughtered, their villages wiped out by the Burmese military. These kids had no place to go. And Miss Emerald told me, she's Pat, what could I do? She said, God brings them to my doorstep. Do I just turn them away? She said, I can't turn them away. God brought them to my doorstep. She said, I never married, but God made me a mother to more than 150 kids. When Miss Emerald was 16 years old, she fell in love with this guy in school. Uh, he was 18 years old. He would walk her to school every day and, and carry her books, and they'd eat lunch together and spend many hours together. She loved this guy. And she told her aunt about him and, and said that she, you know, she could see herself married to him. Her aunt said, he's a Hindu. You're a Christian. You can't, you can't marry a Hindu. If you do, you know, you're going to have a hard life ahead of you. And so she ended up breaking it off with this guy. And when I was talking to her last November, she was telling me about it again. And you could tell it still impacted her. She's 88 years old, but it still impacted her. She said, he was the love of my life. And she said, but I knew I had to obey the Lord. I didn't want to be unequally yoked. What if Miss Emerald said, you know what? I, you know what? I, I'm going to marry him anyway. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. What God wants from me doesn't matter. I want to do what I want to do. Those kids would have no place to live today. They'd be out on the streets, they'd be in trafficking, who knows where they'd be, okay? But she said, you know what, I'm gonna follow Jesus. And so when the grandmother passed away and then the aunts passed away, Miss Emerald just kept the orphanage going. Over a thousand kids. So the baton has been handed on. And so the baton's been handed on to us too. What are we gonna do? Are we gonna persevere to the end? Are we gonna go through all the trials and tribulations of this life? You know, being a Christian is not an easy thing. And a lot of believers around the world suffer greatly for their faith. I mean, I know we have some trials, we have some inconveniences in America, but we don't, we don't understand what these, a lot of these people go through. But they keep pressing on, and that's the way we need to be as Christians. We need to press on. We need to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ and not back down. Next one, please. Because this is the future of Burma. This is the future of Burma because they're seeing Miss Emerald walk by faith and trust God and see her serving the Lord day in and day out, year after year. They're seeing her example and it encourages these young people to continue on in the faith. And that's what our, our world needs to see is us walking with Jesus day by day. They need to see the older generation serving Jesus. They need to see their parents serving Jesus day in and day out. Not that they're, they're not going through trials and tribulations. Yes, we all have them. But they see their parents press through. They see people walking with Jesus day after day, year after year. And who knows what God's going to do with these kids. Ms. Emerald told me out of the 1,000 kids, over 40 of them are nurses now, and many of them are teachers and many have gone into the ministry and some are in government service. And it's amazing to think, I mean, a thousand lives that have been impacted through the gospel, but the baton goes on. And we have to pass that baton on. So I wanna encourage you today, don't give up. No matter what happens in our country, no matter what happens in our government, no matter what happens, stay faithful to Jesus. Don't quit. Don't quit your marriage. Don't quit your family. Don't quit everything and walk away. Say it's too hard. Our society says when it gets tough, get out of the, move on. Move on to something else. Go to the easy way. But that's not what God says. God says we're going to go through trials. We're going to go through afflictions. 
but press on. Because the more we press on, the more we follow Jesus and don't let a root of bitterness come in, the more Jesus makes us more like him and the more we can impact people around, the, around us. People need to see that Jesus is alive and well in this world today. And he's given us the baton and we need to keep, keep doing our part. We need to keep pressing on. We wanna say like Paul, I finished my race. I fulfilled the call of God in my life. And we want God to say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Yes, you're gonna have trials and tribulations in this world, yes, you will. But God has overcome those. And in the, in the trials and tribulations, God's grace is there to keep you. And that's what happened in the life of Judson. I'm thankful for a man who left the comfort of where he was at in Salem, Massachusetts. He left it to go on the mission field and to go fulfill his call. But there's people here in Gillette, Wyoming that need to know the truth of Jesus Christ. There's people that are watching our lives to see, is this really real? Are we gonna succumb to all the fear and, and all the, the panic that the world does? Or do we just learn to rest in God and say, God, you're bigger. God, I trust you. You know, and I'm not gonna be afraid of what the world's afraid of. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for the life of Judson and thank you for Anne and Sarah and Emily. Father, thank you for these women that came alongside of him and labored with him in the work of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the five million believers in Burma today and how many more will come because of their labor of love in the midst of so many trials and tribulations. Thank you for the Bible that's in their language that they wouldn't have if Judson didn't go. So, Father, I thank you for them and I thank you for how Miss Emerald has faithfully served you for 88 years, all these years. She has faithfully served you and ministered to orphans and keeps helping them, Lord, and providing a place to live. Lord, I just thank you for this man, this woman who's gone through so many trials but has stayed faithful, and I thank you for the children that are being impacted by this, by her faithfulness to serve you. Lord, it's just a chain of the gospel going and, and going on, and I pray that we would be faithful here in America, that we'd be faithful, we'd be committed, even when it gets tough, that, Lord, we would not back down, but, Lord, that we'd stand strong, that we'd stay in the fight, keep praying, keep doing what you call us to do, that we'd be a bold witness for Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the leadership and their heart for you and for missions, Father God. I just ask you to bless them, and I ask that, Lord, you would just give us such a love for you, Jesus, that in spite of whatever comes our way, that Jesus will just keep hanging on to you. Nothing in hand I bring, simply to the, the cross I cling, that, Lord, we would hang on to the end, because, Jesus, you're the world's only hope. I just thank you and I praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.